All right, good morning, Rich Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Listen, for today to work, especially for today to work, uh, we need a lot of audience feedback, a lot of audience participation. So I want to prime the pump this morning. Everybody, if you would, stand up with me. We're going to stand up. We're going to kind of, kind of. I, I, we need audience participation this morning for everything to work. I promise by the end of the message it will make sense. If everybody turns to your left, if there's a person in front of you, give them kind of the karate massage. If not, we'll turn around in a second and you'll get it. But just softly, not hard, don't kill them, but just kind of help wake them up a little bit. <laughs> Some people are like, I'm going to... Now turn the other way. Give the other person the other side. <laughs> oh, oh, watch out. <laughs> By the way, if you're watching on Facebook, you can do this too. All right. Thank you for participating. You can be seated. Uh, now let me ask you this. Rich Point Church, how are you doing this morning? Good. Much better. After a massage, I feel much better. Uh, listen, I was driving around yesterday, and I was kind of thinking about this, uh, how crazy it is that spring break is already here. Easter's only a week away. And, and I was driving around yesterday... And normally this kind of stuff doesn't strike me, but, but I'm driving. It was just such a beautiful day. Our, fam, our family and I were kind of heading out doing some stuff. And, and, and I just kind of looked up, and the sky was like this crisp color of blue, and, and the greenery, the trees are real green, and it just looked like just awe-inspiring. And I'm like, man, I can't believe that we live here. Like, this is such a beautiful time to live here, and everything just looks so sharp and so bright, and everything feels so new. And, and it was reminding me that earlier this week I saw a couple of reports that came out that kind of the Winter Haven slash Lakeland slash Arbondale area is the fastest growing area in the country right now. Like it's incredible. People are realizing how beautiful it is and, and people are moving here faster than any other area in the country because they're realizing what we already know is that this area is beautiful. And that's really cool to be able to see. We, we kind of take pride in that and say that's really cool. But it also, for those of us who are following Jesus, says this also gives us a unique opportunity and also a responsibility to say we have to step up our game and figure out how best we can reach as many people as possible. This incredible good news. The video that we saw, I love all the different stories because for you and I, we love sharing good news. The message of Jesus never changes, but through the last couple of millennia, the methods used have changed. Today, we're going to talk about a little bit of a shift, not a seismic shift, but a little bit of a shift of something that we've been talking about here for the last 10 years. Before we get into that, though, I just want to, want to share as a segue as we kind of open up this morning. I, I have a, often whenever I'm speaking, kind of in the beginning, I'll maybe tell some, use some humor or whatever to kind of get things started. And, and, and a lot of times I have a tendency to pick on the men of the church and uh, for two reasons. Number one, a lot of them are my friends and it's easier to pick on friends. But number two, just being honest, if you're a husband out there, we give our wives a lot of material to work with. Uh, for instance, men, let me know if you've ever done this before. Uh, you're looking for something in the kitchen cabinet. Maybe you're looking for something like hot sauce. And so you go to the kitchen cabinet, you know that's where it's supposed to be, and you open up the kitchen cabinet, and inside the kitchen cabinet, it's just full of stuff. And you don't even know where to begin, and you spend like a couple of minutes like debating, am I really going to look through all this stuff, or am I just going to ask my wife? And so after those spending those couple minutes, we're like, hey, hey, honey, where's the hot sauce? And her response is, well, it's in the kitchen cabinet. Thanks, I wouldn't be standing in front of it if I didn't already know that. I, I get that, but, but where in the kitchen cabinet is it? She's like, oh, I know right where it is. It's on the second shelf right next to the ketchup. And you think, well, that's, that's where I thought it would be. I thought it would be in that general vicinity. And so you spend another couple of minutes kind of looking around stuff and lifting stuff up, and, and you can't find it. And you're like, honey, I think it's not there. And she says, it's there. And you say, no, I think either one of the kids took it and put it where it doesn't belong, or maybe someone broke into my house just to steal my hot sauce. I'm not sure, but the hot sauce isn't there. And then her response is, honey, I saw it this morning. I'm telling you it's there. 
And I'm like, oh, so, or you think, you think, oh, so you think I'm like infantile, I can't find this. Babe, I'm telling you, it's not there. And she walks over to the cabinet, and she's frustrated, and you're frustrated at this point. And she walks over, and literally right on the shelf right in front of you is the hot sauce. You've been looking around it. You actually lifted the hot sauce to look behind it, but you didn't realize. Has anybody had that ever happen to you? I haven't. I was just wondering, has I heard that happen before? <laughs> or, or worse than that, your wife asks you, hey, can you go grab something out of my purse? Like, guys, we should just stop there. We should just, yeah. but we all, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And, and so you think, it can't be that hard of a task. And so she asks you, hey, go and find this in my purse. You're like, all right, I got it. And you walk over to the purse, and the purse is only about this big. And you begin to open up, and you realize there are like 15 different pockets, five different zippers, and you have no idea even where to begin. And you say, okay, babe, I need more clarity. Like, where in the purse? It's like, no, it's in the central part where my wallet is. And there's only a few things in there, so you start rifling around trying to find it, and, and, and you can't really find it, and, and so he's like, Sure, she's like, yeah, it's there. And so you do what any level-headed male will do. You take it over to the bed, and you, and you start to take stuff out of her purse to find it. And you take everything out of the purse. I've done this before. You take everything out of the purse, and you're like, babe, I'm telling you it's not there. And she's like, okay, well, just bring the purse to me. Shouldn't we have just started there? <laughs> like, i got to carry the thing to you anyway. I might as well bring the whole purse. But, but we didn't. We go through this routine. And so I proceed to put everything back in the purse. I walk the purse over to my wife, and it's like, babe, I'm telling you it's not in there. And then she does this like ninja move where she doesn't even look in the purse. Now, I just put everything back in. I know what's in there and everything moved around. But she does this ninja move. She reaches in and says, it's right here. <laughs> like, how do you do that? Like, I don't understand. And if that's frustrating to me, even more frustrating is if I can't find something in my house or in my wife's purse, I go to like to one of these giant box stores, one of these home improvement stores, and I'm looking, and it's this huge store, and there's aisles all over the place, and I'm looking for one particular item. And I think I know where it is, and I spend 10 minutes looking where I think it is, and it's not there, and I say, okay, I need to find someone to help me. And so I go, and I try to find an employee, and it takes me another 10 minutes to find an employee, and when I find that employee, they're actually on break, and they said, I can't help you, you got to find somebody else. And another 10 minutes, I finally find an employee, and I said, hey, I'm looking for this small part. Do you know where it is? And they said, well, yeah, it's over on, on aisle 107B. It's all the way down the other side of the store. So I proceed to spend another 10 minutes walking the other side of the store, another 10 minutes looking for this piece, and I still can't find it. And by this point, I'm frustrated, and I'm tired, and I just give up. Contrast that same experience. When I walk up to someone who works in customer service at one of those stores, and I say, hey, I'm looking for the small part. I can't find it. And instead of them saying, go and find it. Here's where it should be. They say, hey, yeah, come here. Let me show you where it is. And they proceed to walk me down to the aisle where it is, and, and they show me where it is, and, and they take it down from the shelf and say, here's your different options, and, and here's how it works, and can I, can I answer any other questions, anything else I can help you out with? And, and my, my experience, my frustration is lowered because that person took the time to, to show and to, to, to say, hey, here's how things are supposed to work, and, and here's the questions, and, and here's where it is. You see, for a lot of us, we know the, the feeling of being lost and being confused, whether it's in our house, whether it's in a store, or whether it's in life. We know the feelings of being lost and confused. And when we're lost or confused, the most assuring thing is to have someone to guide us. Not just someone to tell us, hey, here's where it should be. Because I've been there before, I'm looking at something in the cabinet, I can't find it, and, and I should be able to find it, but I can't. And, and it's more frustrating to say, hey, it should be there, and I can't find it, than if someone actually took the time and said, here's where 
It is. There are a lot of people in life that are lost. They're confused. And often our response within the church has been, hey, here's where it should be. Go and discover it for yourself. When actually when we look at the words of Scripture and what Scripture tells us about the way we should respond, the response of people who are following Jesus is often not go and figure it out for yourself, but come and see. I'm going to show you the way. In fact, there's a couple of spots in Scripture, before we get to today's main text, there's a couple of spots in Scripture where the Apostle Paul, who's this incredible person who had experienced the love and the grace of Jesus, starts to have an impact on other people's lives. And a couple of spots says things like this, I urge you then, be imitators of me. In other words, follow me as I'm doing this. Over 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So in a couple of different spots in the, in the first letter to the church of Corinth, he says, here's what we should do. It's not that I've already figured all of this out because I haven't. But the parts that I have figured out, I'm trying to pursue Jesus as best I can. And as I try to pursue Jesus, here's what I want is if you're following me, only follow me as much as I'm following Christ, but follow me as I do that. And the Bible's full of examples. In fact, we're going to look at a couple of examples this morning from the life of, of Jesus and, and kind of early on in his ministry all the way up through his resurrection, which covers about a span of about three and a half years. There's a number of people who come in contact with Jesus. Some of them have just a momentary encounter with him. And because they have this momentary encounter, they say, I can't fully explain everything about the experience, but I know I've had this experience. And because I've had this experience, I want others to come and see an experience for themselves. We don't have to understand the whole thing, but we do have to say, I've had this experience. Now, how can I share that experience with others? If you have your Bibles, go and open up to the first chapter of the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1, we're actually uh, reading a, a portion of scripture beginning in verse 43 today where Jesus is in the process of, of calling his disciples. He's calling the people who are going to be uh, his immediate disciples, the 12 that he's pouring his life into. And, and a lot of them come from a, different, a bunch of different walks of life. And, and, and they have this encounter with Jesus. And they say, man, because of the encounter that I've had, I want to start to have an impact on the people that I'm doing life with. This encounter has been so real, it's been so powerful, that I want you to have a similar encounter. And so in verse 43 of John chapter 1, it says this. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to Philip, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and of Peter. And so Philip finds Nathanael. And he said to Nathanael, watch this. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now he says, here he's saying, Philip's saying to Nathaniel, listen, the one the prophets have talked about, the one that Moses talked about, the one that we have longed for, I've actually finally encountered him. And I want you to come to see, I've discovered who that is, I've had this encounter with him, and because I've had the encounter with him, I want everyone else to experience it. So Nathaniel, I want you to come and see, I found Jesus of Nazareth, he's the one the prophets hung their hat on, he's the one that Moses spoke of, and so because of that, come and see. And Nathaniel actually has these words of, of, of derision because he doesn't understand. In the beginning of verse 46, it says, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, Nazareth was a small town. As, as excavators have dug up that area, that region, 
they've looked at it and said that Nazareth was a city of definitely less than 2,000 people. Some have said in Jesus' time the number was more like 150 people. It was a small town outside of a much bigger town. And so because of that, those that lived in the city would often look at derision of those who were from Nazareth because it was a small town and nothing important came out of Nazareth. If we think about the city of Winterhaven or Auburn, there's some small pocket communities around us and, and sometimes we think, well, we're within a city, there's a lot happening here, but there's not, not a lot happening in, out in Eloise or, or Juanita. And he says, wait a minute. He actually looks, Nathaniel looks at this with derision and says, can anything good come out of that small pocket community? I mean, nobody even lives there. And then Philip's response is, come and see. He said, can anything good count out of Nazareth? Verse 46, Philip said to him, come and see. His response is, man, I've experienced Jesus. I've had this, this brief but powerful encounter. And because of that, I'm not going to send you to go experience it for yourself. I want to continue to experience his presence in my life. But I want to take as many people with me as possible to come and experience him for themselves. A couple of chapters later in the book of John, we have another encounter Jesus has with a Samaritan woman who's at a well. And they have this brief encounter where Jesus starts to slowly reveal to her who he is. And she's, he's able to tell her stuff about her life. And she's like, how do you know all of this stuff? And, and then eventually she figures out that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And she goes back to her townspeople, many of them who didn't particularly care for her because of her reputation. And she says, I found the Messiah. And she tells them the very same thing. She says, come and see. In both of those situations, we have, we have normal everyday people. There's nothing super spiritual about them, but they have this, this encounter with Jesus. And as soon as they do, their response is to say, I want you to come and see for yourself. I've had this encounter myself. Now because of that encounter, because I'm following Christ myself, I now want others to follow that example. So today I want to ask us this, this, this important, this powerful question. And, and the question is, what are the essential ingredients that we have to have in our life in order to be able to follow Jesus? In order to do that, I want to flip back just a couple of pages. But at the end of Luke chapter 24, at the end of Luke in, the, in chapter 24, we're actually reading what we're going to talk about a lot next week. The encounter of the resurrection of Jesus. And as we encounter this in each of these stories People are having an interaction with, with Jesus, and, and because of that interaction, their life is forever changed. For the disciples, for Philip, he says, I've had this encounter, and that encounter changed my life. For the Samaritan woman, she's had, she says, I've had this encounter, that encounter changed my life. In Luke 24, the reason why we exist as a church is this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So women, Mary Magdalene, they come and they, they encounter the, the, the news that Jesus is alive. 
And their immediate response is, I want to go, because I've had this encounter, because I know the truth, I want to go and share this good news, this incredible news, this great news, with the people that I care about the most. And so they, their response in every one of the situations, for, for, for Philip, for the Samaritan woman, for the women at the tomb, is to say, I want to go, I've had this experience, and now because I've had this experience... I want to make sure that I share the, news, the, the, the news with people who are lost and confused and feel alone. The very reason why we exist as a church is to get that message out there. It isn't just a message for Easter, it's a message for every day. Jesus is alive, and because of that, there's hope. Because of that, you and I have the promise of, of eternal life, of a future, and that once we've had that experience... The forefront message of our lives in everything that we do, though we have other pursuits, at the core of who I am is I want to let other people know about how Jesus has affected my life. And that's why everything we do from what we talk about today in our strategy of, of reaching out uh, to the way we interact with people as they come to church, I've been saying this for years and I want us to get this. The MVPs for our church are the people who serve in guest services because they're the very first face people see for Ridgepoint Church. There are people who may be coming in today, definitely people are coming in next week, and they're saying, man, I'm lost, and I'm confused, and I'm just being honest, the whole church experience is a little bit intimidating for me. And so if I can walk up, and the first thing I see at the tent is a smiling face. Someone says, hey, I know that it's confusing. Do you have kids? Here's where child check-in is. Do you, do you want to know? There's, there's coffee over here, and, and here's some information about the church, and here's how things work. Why? Because the, the experience of going to church for people who are lost and confused and, and feel hopeless is, it can be intimidating. And so our response should be whatever we can do, not to tell them go and figure it out on, yourself, on, on your own, but come and see. That's why what we do, in fact, studies have shown this, and this is important information. Studies have shown that for the average person who visits a church on a Sunday morning, for, if they're visiting for the very first time, before they ever sit down, Meaning before they ever, the first chord is strung on the guitar, before anybody gets up and hosts or speaks, they've already figured out whether or not they're going to come back based upon a couple of things, based upon three things primarily. Number one, if they have kids, their kids area is really, really important. Number two, just looking at overall facilities and how does this make me feel and how comfortable am I am in, in the facilities. But number three, and this is really, really important, is how welcome do I feel? How, how, how friendly is the church? Do I feel like I could belong here? Why? Because for a lot of people, especially next week with it being Easter, some people come and they're saying, man, I'm not sure about Jesus, I'm not sure about church, I'm not sure about any of that stuff. But I want to give it a chance because right now I feel lost and, and confused and alone. And, and so because of that, I'm going to come in, but I'm going to be skeptical. The way that we respond to that skeptic, the way that we respond when we have those interactions is important. A lot of people are intimidated. They're not looking for a bunch of people to rush them. But at the same time, when they're ready to connect, they want to be able to connect. So what we do, especially in guest services, is of the utmost importance. But we're going to transition a little bit. We're going to talk about what does, that what does that look like when it comes, or how do I have these come and see moments when it comes to my life? The way that I reach out, the way that I start to share my faith with people around us. See, for the last several years, we've been talking about, in fact, about 10 years ago, we started introducing a strategy for outreach. We called it Build and Bring. And Build and Bring basically works like this. See, back uh, probably 
20 or 30 years ago, it was expected if the average person came to church on a Sunday morning, it was expected they came and fell out a visitor card that on Monday night a team of people from the church would come out and visit them in their home and, and maybe bring them some information or bring them cookies or whatever and go out and visit them. And we live in a culture where that isn't really expected anymore. In fact, if you show up at someone's house unannounced on a Monday night, especially living in Polk County, you might get shot. <laughs> like, like people just, they, they don't, they're not looking for that anymore. But they are looking for still a chance to connect. They're looking for how do I connect without feeling kind of awkward about it. And so because of that, our methods changed. We said, okay, 10 years ago we came up with this. It wasn't original with us. We kind of tweaked it a little bit. But we came up with this idea of build and bring. And build and bring was based upon this idea that we want to build relationships with people. And as we build those relationships, we start to work on those relationships in order to have a chance to share the faith. As, as the early disciples did, as Mary Magdalene did, as the Samaritan woman did, they say, hey, I already have this relationship with the people I'm closest with, the people that I've seen the life change with. Let me start to go and share my faith with them and invite them to come and see, not to go figure it out on, themse- on their own, but to come and see for themselves. But over the course of the last several months, I've been having a lot of conversations with a lot of people, and in particular, I was having conversations with one of my friends that goes to church here and and I just was recounting my testimony. And the thing was, when I was in college, I had a friend of mine who'd gotten saved. His life got changed in a major, major way. And I'd kind of gone to church a little bit sporadically throughout my life with my family, but it was, we were never really consistent. So my friend started going to church that I wasn't familiar with. And my friend starts to go, and man, his life changed, and I see the life change that's taking place. I say, man, I, okay, it's cool, Jack. I love what you're doing. I love what you're kind of, you're excited about this. And then he started inviting me to church. And when I first went to the church, it was a, a very traditional church, and I wasn't sure exactly what to expect, but he invited me, and I had a lot of questions for my friend Jack. I said, man, how should I dress? What should I bring? How long is this? What should I expect? Like, going into this, I want to know a little bit of, of what I'm getting myself into. Now, the thing was, and here's where the conversation shifted a little bit. At that point, that church was a very traditional church. They didn't have anything like Discover or PC. We set up Discover RPC for people who are new to the church to figure out how, what makes a church tick and what's that all about. We didn't have anything like that at the church, but, but if we did, I'm not convinced that as a 19-year-old kid, if, if someone in church said, hey, you should come to this, that 19 years old on my own, I would have signed up for something like that. And she had my friend Jack. And my friend Jack knew all the details about the church, so if I had any questions about the church... I could simply go and ask Jack, Jack, how does this work? What does the church do about this? And I was going to lean on him a whole lot more than I was going to lean on the rest of the church because I didn't know them, but I knew Jack. It was really Jack was undertaking me as his responsibility to say, as you go through this process, I'm going to help lead the way. It isn't just building and bringing. For a lot of us, we think if I get someone, like I've been praying, we're going to talk about some things we can do in just a second. I've been praying, I want to invite these people to church, and if they come to church next Sunday because it's Easter, we raise our hands, we celebrate, we finally, this was our job, we've hit the finish line. I'm telling you this morning, that isn't the finish line, that's simply the starting blocks. Because they're still looking to connect. And the person they trust is the person who invited them. And it isn't just building and bringing. But it's building, bringing, and then really working on the building portion again. They say, I know that you made it this far, but we have this environment set up. I know it's intimidating. I'll go with you to discover RPC. It'll be a refresher for me, but I'll help guide you through the process. If you have any questions, I'll be there. But I want to help guide you through that process. So what does this look like? What is it? How can I, what are the essential ingredients of having a come and see moment? Two things. Number one, to have a personal encounter with Jesus. 
I can't invite someone to come and see for themselves if I haven't had that experience myself. So the first one, and this is really, really important, is that I want to have a, that I had to have that personal encounter with Jesus myself because I can't explain what I haven't experienced for myself. I can't explain what I haven't experienced for myself. Now, that doesn't mean that I have to understand everything about it. You see, for a lot of us, the most intimidating thing is I can say, I know that at, at whatever age, for me it was at 19 years old, I gave my life to Jesus, and he forever changed who I am. For the Samaritan woman, for the, for the early disciples, they didn't have it all figured out. They weren't super spiritual. Jesus didn't call people who were super qualified. He called people who were everyday people. They have this experience, and they say, I haven't figured the whole thing out. I don't know exactly how it all works. I think for a lot of us, we shy away from engaging people in spiritual discussions. We shy away from inviting them to church because we're afraid they're going to have a bunch of questions. And I don't have all the answers. You're not expected to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. I haven't figured it all out. There might be times I slip up. But when I'm getting it right, follow that example. And we look at this and think, I have to have it all figured out. I don't. But I can't explain what I haven't experienced for myself. For instance, if I were to walk in here, which I'm going to do at some point this week, I'll walk in here maybe a Tuesday morning, and the lights will be out, and I walk back to the light switch back in the back, and I flip on the lights. When I flip on the lights, the lights come on. I don't exactly know how that works. I have an idea of how it works, but I don't exactly know how it works. All I know is my experience is this. If I flip on those lights, the lights come on. If there's a person who never had that experience before, I could explain what my experience was when it came to it. I couldn't explain every minute detail of why the electric works and how all that works, but I could explain my experience. For everyone of us that has a personal experience with Jesus, all we're trying to do is explain my part of the experience. And here's what my life was like before Christ. Here's how Christ came into my life, and here's how my life has changed because of it. That's our responsibility. That's all they're doing when they're saying, come and see. They're saying, I've had this, I've had this response. I've, I've had this experience. And because I've had this experience, I want other people to experience this with me. It's that big a deal. I think at some point we became very kind of callous towards that message. And we think, especially if we give our life to Christ decades ago, we think I've kind of grown up with this. I know this. And, and at some point it didn't become the prominent theme of our life. That with Jesus there's freedom. I've had this experience now. Because of that experience, I want other people to have that same experience. So the first thing is to have a personal encounter with Jesus. I don't have to understand everything to share it, but I do have to have experienced it. And number two is a desire for others to share in the encounter. I've had this experience, and so because I've had this experience, I want to allow other people to have a similar experience. Not the same experience, but something similar. I was reading, in preparation for a message next week, I was reading a story recently of, of a guy that was, for most of his college career, had fought against Christ. He tried to disprove, he used to laugh at people who were Christians. Then he gave his life to Christ, and he grew up in a very rough household. His, his father was an alcoholic and used to severely abuse his, his mom. And he said, when I grow up, when I'm strong enough, I'm, he actually said, I'm going to kill my dad. Jesus changed his life entirely. He said, it took me about 18 months. But from six months out to 18 months, he's like, I gave my life to Christ. He's like, I went out to disprove Jesus. I ended up proving Jesus and his resurrection. And because of that, he changed my life. 
Years later, he met up with his dad. His dad was sick at that point. He said, Dad, I want to let you know something. He said, I love you. His dad looked at him with tears in his eyes and said, how could you love me? As terrible as a dad I've been. And he said, Dad, I'll be honest with you. Six months ago, I wanted to kill you. But because Jesus changed my life, I have a new heart towards you. He's changed me. And his dad said this. His dad said, I've never been sure about this whole Jesus thing. But if I can have what you have, then I want to follow him. And he gives his life to Christ. And eventually through that, for the last couple of months of his life, he made his mission that the town drunk who everybody used to make fun of would share the message and hope of Jesus. He didn't have it all figured out. He didn't have a bunch of Bible verses memorized. But he says, here's who I used to be. Here's who I am now. All we're trying to do is to say, this was my experience. As I've had this experience, I want to invite others to come and see for, them, for, their, for themselves. So how do I do that? How do I begin that process today? We want to make this process as easy as possible. We've talked about some of these things, but as we, as we attempt to build and bring and then to add to that the build, the second step of, of building, we want to ask our question right now is, is, how do I do that? How do I make that practical right now? What's the takeaway as we leave? Four things. Number one, we've been talking about this for the last three weeks, but we have invite cards back at the back. On the way out, grab some more invite cards. It's the easiest, it's the least confrontational way that you can invite someone to church next week. Say, hey, here's, here's the invite card. I circled the service I'm coming to, 9 or 11 o'clock next week. And, and along with that, here's my name. And come sit with me. Come and join me with me. That's the easiest, not confrontational way. The second thing, something new we're introducing today. We want you to go and egg someone's house. That sounds like fun. <laughs> what do we mean by egging someone's house? easy. Back in the back, you'll see there's baskets with plastic Easter eggs. They're already filled, ready for you to go. We're going to ask you, if you have a family, number one, make sure you know them. If you show up at someone's house and you don't know them, again, go back to the early part of the message, you might get shot. We don't want you to do that. But if there's a family who you've been investing in and they have young kids, we're going to ask you at some point during this week or maybe on Saturday to take the eggs and hide them in their front yard. And as you hide them in the front yard, knock on the door if they're there. Uh, give them this. It says you've been egged, and it says we've hidden six Easter eggs, and gives the information, but also as a chance to invite them to be a part of, of the church next Sunday. There are a lot of communities that are already doing things like this, a lot of your small communities that really kind of get behind stuff like that. So especially if you have a community that loves to do these things, if you have young families, this is a great way to invite families to join us. So on your way out, if this is something you want to take part in, we already had a lot taken in the first service, take a basket of eggs or six eggs and take one card per basket of eggs. If you have a bunch of families you want to invite, we want to get rid of those eggs today. So by all means, take as many as you want to invite but take them with one card for each of the six, six eggs that you take. The third thing is, and this is going to become really important in just a second. I said early on, we're going to be interactive during the service. We want you to pray for those people by name, but we want to, be able to join you in praying for them. You see, every Saturday, we have a group of people that meets to, to pray for the services and what's going on. And, and this coming Saturday, they're going to be praying for us again. We want to be able to pray for individuals by name. And so in just a second, by the way, if you ever want to join them on Saturday mornings, they'd love to have more people join them as kind of our prayer team. They'd love, if you want to do that, let us know. We'll get you information about that. But as, as we do that, we're going to ask you, as the band closes out this morning, I know everyone's like, wait, I don't like to be outside of my comfort zone. But as the band plays the final song, I want those who are bold enough to say, man, I've been praying for someone. I want to invite them to church. And I'm going to come down front. We only want you to write their first name on the crosses that are on either side of the auditorium. So just as the band's playing, come down front, write their names on the cross, 
And then we're going to pray for them as a staff throughout this week. And the prayer team is going to pray for them on Saturday to join you in praying for them. Uh, so just be thinking about right now, who are those families you've been praying for, that you've been wanting to invite, and we want to join you in praying for them. And the final thing, the fourth step is to build again. That means that once people come to the doors of the church, don't think, all right, my responsibility is done. Now it's up to the church because, number one, we are all the church. It's all of our responsibilities. But number two, if we've taken the time to invest in someone, they trust us more than they trust anybody else in the church at that point. And so part of the discipleship process is every one of us taking ownership of that. There's been a lot of cool things happening at Ridgepoint Church over the last couple of weeks, last couple of months. Some really, really cool things that are taking place. Along with that, we, we're looking at saying, okay, what's important? What's, what's the next thing for us to do as a church for us to take our next steps? I was reading an account this week of, of a pastor that had uh, just spent some time saying, hey, our focus for the next couple months in his church was to teach people that discipleship is everyone's responsibility. And he said the only thing they changed about the church is everyone bought into discipleship. Everyone bought into this is my responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility because the church is just us. But he said once everybody bought into that, within a year's time, the church quadrupled in size. Why? Because the mission is all of, ours, all of our mission. Every one of us takes ownership of that. Build and bring and build. So as you're ready to close out, I'm going to pray. As I'm praying, the band's going to take the stage. They're going to lead us in a closing song. As they're playing, I know people are like, wait, I like my comfort zone. I like where I'm sitting. I get that. But as the band's playing, I want you to think about some names of people you want, that you, maybe you've already been praying for them or that you want to pray for them. And just come down front. we got a bunch of markers on either side of the crosses. And just take the, the, the marker and write on the cross just the first name only of the people that you want us to join you in praying for. Let's pray together. Father, first of all, I just thank you for an, over, an overabundance of grace and mercy in our lives. God, for every one of us that's here this morning that's called upon Jesus, we don't deserve that. We don't deserve the hope and, and the eternity that comes with that. God, you've given us so much grace. We thank you for that. But God, as we've experienced Jesus, it's important for us to share the message of the hope that he brings with the world around us. And so God, our prayer this morning is that we are beginning to think about, or maybe we've already been thinking about, names of individuals that we want to invest in, that we want to build up. That we bring them not just to church, because our goal at the forefront of our, our, our message is not to build a church, but to build disciples. God, to build relationships to bring them to Jesus. To build relationships that they can know the hope that we've experienced. And those, those feelings of being lost and confused could be gone forever. I don't even know, maybe this morning. There are people who are there right now saying, man, I came in this morning and, and I was unsure. I wasn't sure about the Jesus thing. I wasn't sure about the Bible. I wasn't sure about, about faith at all. But I admit I'm lost and confused and I'm looking for someone to, to guide me. We're going to do the best job we could do as a church to help along the way. But the one we want to point you to is Jesus. Because he's the only one that brings hope. He's the only one that brings a future for you. Our job is simply to point you to him because we believe wholeheartedly as a church that Jesus makes our lives better, but he also makes us better at life. And so God, if there's someone this morning who hasn't 
come to saving knowledge of who Jesus is, they're still lost and hopeless. God, I pray that even today they'd respond to the free gift that you've given them. God, that your spirit would guide them. And God, for those of us who've tasted and seen for ourselves, I pray that today would be a reminder that this message must be on our lips at all times. That Jesus is still today the hope for this world. It's in his name we pray. Amen.